Well, take your Bibles tonight. Go to the book of Micah with me this evening. The book of Micah. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter number 6. And of course, this is only our, this is our first Wednesday in the new auditorium and only our, uh, was this our third service now? And so again, be patient with us. We're still trying to get bugs and kinks worked out of stuff, um, sound systems and lighting and all that kind of stuff. So if it uh, squeals on you really loud, don't blame the sound guys. That's my job. I get to blame. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, there is a kind of a hum up here, though, guys. It's humming. We're not supposed to hum in church. We're supposed to sing, right? The Bible doesn't say hum. It says sing. <laughs> Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And um, we're kind of coming to the conclusion of the book of Micah. Just one more chapter um, after we finish chapter number 6. And um, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really enjoyed going through the book of Micah as we've been going through the different minor prophets on uh, Wednesday nights. And uh, I was thinking about what to do uh, next, right? That's, that's always something that's going through my mind, right? What's the, what, what are we going to go through next? What's the next book? What's uh, the next series? Um, you know, what's, what's going to be our theme for next year? You know, who are we going to have come in next year and things like that? And so um, I'm always trying to think ahead of things and, uh, I was thinking about what we're going to do on Wednesday nights um, uh, in our next uh, series. And um, you know me, I just, I just like to try new things, right? Um, I, just, I just enjoy, if, if anybody is, ever thinks of First Baptist Church and says, First Baptist Church never changes anything, then they've never been to one of our services, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we change it all the time, right? So uh, I'm not going to tell you what book we're going to go through, but I will tell you what we're going to do is... Um, we're actually going to have, uh, we're going to, I've, I've picked the book, um, but instead of just one person preaching through the book or teaching through the book, we're actually going to have three different guys teach through the book. And uh, so my dad, brother Joel, and myself are all going to teach through this book uh, together. And I think that's going to be really, it's going to be really neat, really exciting uh, just to have uh, uh, that opportunity to have three different, uh, three different perspectives, three different uh, guys teaching through it. So that's going to be really neat. So um, really looking forward to that. Um, Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. Still kind of a lot of humming up here, guys. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter... You say, are you mad at him? No, I'm not mad at him. I'm just let, making sure they know it's humming up here so they can make some adjustments and things. And uh, Micah chapter 6, verse number 9. He says, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city... And the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold, but shall not deliver, and that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. 
Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof, and hissing, therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. So think about what we've been looking at. Of course, um, we've been going through here in in chapter 6 as uh, God is pleading with his people to, to repent. God's pleading with them to turn. And of course, he says at the beginning, hear ye now what the Lord saith. And um, God is giving his case and he's saying, why haven't you repented? Uh, look at all that I have done. Um, I, I, and he reminds them. And we saw last week how um, we're, we're reminded not to forget the past, to remember where God has brought us from and what God has done uh, through our lives and, and where we used to be and, and how God is blessed. And as we come here to, to the end of chapter 6, there's a really interesting phrase that we find here in verse number 10. He says, are there yet the treasures of wickedness? Treasures of wickedness. Think about what he says there. And when we think of wickedness, we think of corruption, we think of evil. But he uses this phrase, are there yet treasures of wickedness? And we're going to get to that in, in just a moment. But notice what he says in verse number 9. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? So again, we find the Lord is crying out for repentance. The Lord is crying out for Israel to repent. The Lord's voice, he says, crieth unto the city, right? Uh, he's crying out. He's, he's pleading with them to repent. Now, why is he crying out uh, to the cities? Think about this. And it's, again, God never makes a mistake uh, in why he uses certain words. He says, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city. Why is, why is he crying out to the city here? Why is he crying out to the city? Anybody? Why is he crying out to the city? Well, think about it. What's, what's, what's in most cities? In most, city, most cities, that's where the population is. In most cities, that's where the, the leaders are, right? That's where the uh, kind of everyone that's in charge is. And so he's, he's crying out to the city here because that's, again, that's where the leaders are. That's where the king, the princes, the priests, they were all there in the city. And so he's, he's crying out unto the city here. And, and notice what he says. Micah says, um, it's, the, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. As, he's, as the Lord is crying out here, right? The, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city. And Micah says, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. What do you think that means? When Micah says, the, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. As God is crying out. The Lord is crying out. He's, he's imploring them to repent. And then he makes this statement, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Again, sometimes we can just read through without really stopping to think. And 
But I think if you stop and really think about if, if the Lord is crying out here to the city to repent, he's, he's imploring them to turn back to him. And then he says, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. I think this is very similar to what Jesus even speaks later on in Luke chapter 7 in verse 35 when he says, but wisdom is justified of all her children. And we've kind of been looking at this in our Sunday school class on, in, on, in the adult class when he says wisdom is justified of all her children, a wise person would listen to the message of Jesus and recognize it as truth. Someone who has wisdom, again, wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, wisdom has wise children. And so a wise person is going to listen to what the message is and recognize what is being said. And in Jesus' day, both when John the Baptist was preaching and when Jesus was preaching, the religious leaders would not accept the message. And that's what Jesus is saying there in the book of Luke. He says, wisdom is justified of her children. Those that are wise are going to recognize the message that Jesus was preaching, the message that John the Baptist was preaching, and they would recognize it as truth. And so here, the Lord's voice is crying to the cities, and he's saying, hey, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. The one who is wise is going to recognize what God is saying. The one who is wise, and again, remember, remember when we saw back up here, remember the attitude of Israel, right? Remember what he says um, in... Uh, Back in, in verse number three, he says, Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I weary thee? Testify against, against me. So he says, Go ahead. What, what have I done against you? And then he tells everything, right? He says all that, they, that he has done. And then, um, and then in verse number six and, and seven, we find the people's response. And they say, Well, hey, aren't you satisfied with the, the offerings we have given? Aren't you satisfied with the rams? Aren't you satisfied with, with the oil? Aren't you satisfied with all these things that we have brought before you? And of course, God says, I, I don't care about those things. What I really want, and He says, to truly know God, He says, We are to love mercy, we are to do justly and walk humbly before our God. And the attitude of the people was just a very proud, very arrogant attitude. And so we find this saying, hey, look, if you're wise, if you're really going to listen to what God is saying, you'll recognize that, hey, you have sinned and you do need to repent. You need to repent and you need to turn back. Micah says here, really, to fear God is wisdom. To fear God. You want to be wise, you better listen to God. You want to truly have wisdom? It's not about what the world says wisdom is. It's about what God says. In fact, if you hold your place here and go back with me to the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, in several places here, I mean, all throughout the book of Proverbs, he speaks of this. We don't have time to look at all the different passages, but notice in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Think about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to really have wisdom and knowledge and understanding, he says you need to fear God. Fools, though, are just the opposite. They despise wisdom. They don't care about learning anything. Again, they, they want it their way. They think they've got it figured out. Again, going back to what Jesus was saying about how his message and John the Baptist, they, they said, hey, we don't like either one. We don't like Jesus the way he's preaching. We don't like John the Baptist the way he's preaching. Uh, and so we're just, we're not going to listen to either one. 
He says, that's, that's foolish. Fools despise wisdom. Look in verse number 29. He says, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They hated knowledge. They didn't want to know wisdom. They didn't want to know God. They chose not to fear God. Go over to, with me to chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Verse number 10. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. God says if we truly want to know wisdom, and yes, I know James says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But listen, God's saying, look, if you really want to know wisdom, know God. If you really want understanding, get closer to God. If you really want to know what is right and, and have that knowledge, not just a head knowledge, but a true knowledge and understanding of what wisdom is, he says, you need to get closer to God. You need to fear God. You need to love God. You need to walk with God. That's what it truly is. And so Micah is saying, hey, the Lord is calling out for you to repent. The Lord is crying out. And if you truly are one who is wise, you will listen to what God says. You'll recognize this is God speaking. You'll see him. You'll see who he is. And you'll turn from your wickedness and turn back to God. The problem, though, was just like in Jesus' day, so in Micah's, they had ears to hear, but they didn't hear how many times does Jesus use that phrase, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, right? And we think, man, that's kind of a silly phrase, right? Because, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking out here at everybody here, and I, 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 I think everybody has ears, right? Some of you have them covered with hair and things, but I think you have ears. So why would Jesus, to a bunch of people that already have ears, to hear, why would he say, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear? Of course, they're, they're hearing, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if you really are listening, then are you going to apply it? Are you going to do it? Are you really going to understand what you are hearing? And what happened in Jesus' day? Oh, they heard with their ears. In fact, they, they said, we can't find any, anything wrong with this man. I mean, look at all the miracles that he's done. Look at, look at how he's healed people. Look at how he's fed people. Look at the compassion that he has. And we cannot find anything wrong with this man, but yet we will still not listen to him. Why? Because they hated knowledge. They hated the wisdom of God. They were not willing to listen to what God was saying. And in the same manner, this is what's happening in Micah's day. Micah is preaching and Amos is preaching and these other prophets are preaching. And they're saying, hey, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn back to God. If not, judgment is going to come. And they just keep on going. They just keep on going the way they're going. There's, there's no desire to listen to the man of God. There's no desire to listen to the message of God. They had ears to hear, but they would not hear. So watch what he says. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Again, very interesting thinking about what he says here. He says, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. So God is crying out for you to repent. A wise person is going to listen, but of course they would not. So watch what he says. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? 
Hear ye the rod. What is a rod? A, a rod is just a stick. Right? Not what a rod is. It's just, it's just a stick. You know, I mean, it could be a short stick. It could be a long stick. It could be a thick stick. It could be a skinny stick. But it's basically just a stick. Right? In, in, in Exodus, to Moses, the rod was his equipment for keeping sheep and being a shepherd. In Numbers, each tribe was to bring a rod with the name of the tribe on it, and they were to bring it before Moses, and God would choose one of those rods to be the tribe that would be the tribe that would take care of the tabernacle and, and the temple, that would take care of the things of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14, God says, I will chasten him with the rod of men. In Psalms chapter 2 and verse number 9, he says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. In Psalms 23, 4, it says, Thy staff, they comfort me. Again, a rod was simply just a stick. But this is what he says. Hear the rod. Now, I don't know if I'm just the only one. But I've seen a lot of sticks in my day. Woods, and I've been in, you know, you know, you can go out and you can hear the wind rustling through the leaves and everything. But I can tell you this, I've never heard a stick talk. Am I the only one? Anybody else? You've heard a stick talk? If we do, maybe we need to call somebody for you. He says, hear the rod. Look, I, I didn't make this up. That's what it says, right? Hear the rod, and who hath appointed it? What's he saying? Have you ever, I know, you adults in here never did this, right? Never did this. But I'm sure these young people here tonight will probably understand what I'm saying. Mom, dad says, hey, it's time to clean up your room, or it's time to go to bed. And the kids just sit there. They don't do anything, right? They don't move. Maybe they're playing a game. Maybe they're reading a book. Maybe they're watching TV or whatever. Say, time to go to bed. Time to clean up your room. Time to take out the trash. Time to start school, whatever it might be. And they don't move. They don't move. And you tell them again. And they don't move. Now, again, I don't know how it is in, in your house, but I remember how it was in my house. There was a certain, um, there was a certain piece of wood <laughs> that we had in my house when I was growing up, and um, I did not like to see that piece of wood. Because every time I saw that piece of wood, I knew <laughs> it was not good. I was in trouble, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you call it. We call it a paddle, right? It was a paddle, right? And uh, you say, well, I don't believe in disciplining my kids in, in that way or whatever. That's, that's fine. We're not, I'm not debating that right now. But, I, I mean, I think I turned out okay, right? <laughs> 
Um, and so I can, I can remember there would be times that I would hear my parents, but I wouldn't do anything. But as soon as I saw the paddle, boy, I heard exactly what was going on. Now, the paddle itself did not speak, <laughs> but it did in more ways than one. Do <laughs> you understand what he's saying here? He said, look, I am calling out to you. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm pleading with you to, to return, but they were not listening. So what does he say? Hear the rod. Hear the rod. The rod here, uh, again, when you look at it, of course, in the context will usually determine what the rod is referring to, but in, in most cases, it has to do with correction. It has to do with correction. That's why he says, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. That's why he says in, in 2 Samuel, he says, I will chasten him with the rod of men. It has to do with correction, and there is little doubt that he is speaking here of correction. When he says, hear the rod. He is speaking of the correction. He says, look, if you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to listen to my voice, if you're not going to listen to what I'm telling you to do, I will get your attention. I'm going to get your attention. And if, you're not going to, if I can't get your attention through my voice, he said, I'm going to get your attention through the rod. There's going to be correction here. There's going to be discipline. Israel has turned away from the Lord, and it is the Lord crying out for them to repent. And it's very obvious when he says, hear ye the rod. God is saying, if you don't listen when I'm speaking, you will listen when you are being judged. If you're not going to listen when I'm speaking, you will listen when correction comes. And also notice what he says. Not only does he say, hear the rod, but he also says, and who hath appointed it? God wants them to know, God wants it to be very clear that this correction, this judgment is coming from him. Yes, the Assyrian Empire was going to come and conquer the northern kingdom. Yes, the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was going to come and conquer the southern kingdom. But God says, hey, I want you to know that's just the rod, but I want you to know who's appointed the rod. Never, <laughs> never in all the times, and there were quite a few actually, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I met the rod. Don't laugh. It's not funny. <laughs> Never was it the rod that I was really afraid of. Because the rod was just a stick. The rod was just a piece of wood. The rod in and of itself could do absolutely nothing. But it was the one who held the rod. God says, I want you to know who it is that is bringing this rod. 
I want you to know who it is that is going to bring this judgment. This is not the Assyrians, even though God was going to use them. This was not the Babylonians, although God was going to use them. God says, I want you to understand, this is me. The rod is simply going to be the Assyrian Empire. The rod is simply going to be the Babylonian Empire. But the rod is in God's hand, he's saying. God is the one who is going to use them to bring this judgment, to bring this discipline to Israel. It would have been very easy for Israel to disregard Micah. But Micah makes it clear that it is not his message that he's bringing. This is God's. Micah says, this isn't my rod. I don't have a rod that I can bring judgment to a nation. This is God's rod. This is what God is going to do. And notice what he says in verse number 10. He says, are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? In the scant measure that is abominable? What a question that God asks. Are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? It's interesting when we think about it, the wicked think that somehow through their wickedness that they are actually getting ahead. The wicked think through their lying and deceitfulness and, uh, and, and, and all that they do that somehow they are advancing and yet they don't even understand that God says that they are wicked. They don't understand that God says, hey, there is going to be a judgment that is going to come. They, they don't understand that even though they say, well, hey, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't really care what God says and I'm just going to put God aside. They don't understand that, hey, one day they will stand before God. They're going to have to give an account of their life before God and why they chose to reject His Son. But yet, sometimes it just seems like the wicked don't even, they just don't even think about eternity. They don't think about the future. They just think about now, and, and they think that just all that they're doing is somehow getting them ahead. Their business dealings were the exact opposite of what God had instructed His people Instead of being just and showing mercy, they were exploiting and stealing from each other. He says here in verse, in verse number 10, he says, and the scant measure that is abominable. In other words, they were measuring falsely. If something was to be like a bushel, whoever would be measuring the bushel would make sure it was short a little bit. It wasn't a true bushel or ephah as they would measure it in. He says in verse number 11, Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with a bag of deceitful weights? The scales were rigged. When they would go to, to weigh something, the scales would be rigged. I mean, it's interesting that even in our society today, scales and stuff have to be inspected. I wonder why. When you go and, and maybe you're taking a load of grain to, uh, to sell or maybe you're taking something to, to the dump or whatever and you pull on those scales and it takes the measurement or the weight of it when you pull on and then you go and you dump it off and then you pull back on the scales, how many of you would want accurate scales? Yeah, we want accurate scales because we want to make sure that we're paying the right amount or we're receiving the right amount. We don't want scales that are been messed up. But yet, this is what Israel was doing. They were using scales that were in their favor. 
Hey, if something was weighing 100 pounds and they were going to buy it, their, their scales would only show that it weighed 90 pounds, so they would only have to pay for 90 instead of the full 100. They, they, were, they were cheating their own people, and he says even the weights of the bag with the bag of deceitful weights. Uh, if, if you know anything about how the old-time scales would work, you, you basically just have a balance here, and, and you would take something, you would put it on one side, and then you take a, a five-pound weight maybe, and you put it on there, and if the weight doesn't go down, then you have to add maybe another one-pound weight, and maybe it starts coming up, and then you add another one-pound weight. So now you're up to seven, and when it balances, you know, hey, that's the weight. Well, instead of being a five-pound weight, that weight would only be four pounds, but it said it was five. And so they were cheating their own people, and God says the very things. Again, what, what did he just say? Back up in, in, in verse, number, uh, verse number eight. To do justly. Does that sound just? To cheat your own people? I mean, these, these are your own people. These are your own brothers and sisters. These are your countrymen, and you're cheating them. Not that it's right to cheat other people as well, but I mean, come on. These are your own people. And you're cheating them? Your weights are deceitful? Your weights, the, the, uh, the balances are, 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 are improper? The, 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 the measurements are wrong? He says in verse number 12, For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Think about it. The rich were using force and violence to get what they wanted just because they had the power to do it. They were rich, therefore they would take whatever they want. They would buy it. They had the, they had the judges in their pockets. They had the, the, the lawyers in their pockets, and, and everything would work to their favor. Lying was nothing. It was nothing to them because of the deceitfulness of their hearts. Look what he says. The inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. I mean, we, we kind of make a joke about, you know, you know we, again, I know lawyers kind of get a bad rap and things like that, and we kind of say if their mouth is moving, we know they're lying, right? That was literally what they were saying here. These people were just, they were consistently lying. They were deceitful, uh, and there, there was nothing true about them. They would say anything and hurt anyone to get what they wanted. Whatever they wanted, the rich would take it. It's interesting when you jump down to verse number 16, he says, For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you walk in their counsels. So God actually gives an example here. He gives two examples of, of how these people are walking and what they're doing. And the two examples that he gives are really the worst examples that could ever be given. Omri and Ahab. And I think most of us would kind of know more a little bit about Ahab than we do Omri because Ahab is a little bit more visible and we, the Bible tells us a little bit more about Ahab, but Omri was even worse. When you go back and you read back in 1 Kings chapter 16, you'll find out that, that Omri came before Ahab. He was actually the, the, the father-in-law to Ahab there. Jezebel was Omri's daughter. And, and Omri was just a horrible, wicked man. In fact, it was Omri the one who... That, that bought the city 
that was actually called Samaria now, where the Samaritan, the, the capital of the northern kingdom was in Samaria. Omri was the one that bought that, and he was the one that, that set up all these, these false idols and false gods and things here. And then, of course, then Ahab comes on the scene, who, of course, is married to Jezebel. And, of course, we know the story. Think back to, uh, to, to Kings, where he talks about... Um, where Ahab goes out and he sees a vineyard, Naboth's vineyard that is near to the palace there. And, and he says, man, I want that. And he goes out and he's looking at it and Naboth comes by and he says, hey, Naboth, I want you to sell me your vineyard. And he says, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. And the king who has everything he could ever want, who, and even he says, I have vineyards that are far greater. I'll, I'll, I'll trade you one of those. Naboth says, no, I'm not going to do this. Is, this is my inheritance. This is, this is from my father. This has been passed down from generation to generation. He says, I'm not going to let it go. This is our family history. I'm not letting it go. Naboth says, I'll give you greater ones. Now, wait, if you have a greater one, why do you need this one? Why do you have to have Naboth's? Well, just because he wanted it. And then when Naboth refuses to accept his offer... What does Ahab do? He cries like a little girl. He goes home and he starts crying. He's, I, the Bible says, again, I, I think the Bible is very accurate. The Bible says he fell on his bed. Can you, can you picture a grown man? There's a grown man walking into the palace. A palace that has everything you could ever imagine. But because somebody wouldn't sell you a little vineyard that's close to your palace, you go in, you've got servants everywhere, you've got all kinds of food, you've got anything you want, and fall down on your nice plush bed with your nice pillows and your nice blankets and everything like this, and you start crying. I didn't get the vineyard. And Jezebel comes in and says, oh, you poor thing. What's the matter, Pumpkin. By the way, guys, I don't know if your wife has a nickname from you, but I hope it's not Pumpkin, right? I mean, what's the matter, Pumpkin? Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. Well, that's just horrible. What a, what a mean man that he won't sell you his vineyard. I know. I even offered him one better, and I even offered to pay him, and he just said no. Pumpkin, it'll be okay. I'll take care of it. Really? Yeah. Thank you. And then what does he do? He lets Jezebel, his wife, take care of it for him. She has him killed. Murdered. Just because he said he wouldn't sell the vineyard. Does that sound a little bit like the rich men thereof are full of violence and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. You know what, you know what Jezebel did? She had people come and lie about Naboth. She had them come and lie and say, oh, he's spoken against God. Jezebel didn't care anything about God. Ahab didn't care anything about God. All they wanted was to fulfill their, the, their desires and their lust to be able to have what they wanted. And this is what he's saying. This is how Israel was. Again, that doesn't sound just that doesn't sound like mercy. That doesn't sound like they're walking with their God. God said, that's what I desire, but this is how you're living. 
And Proverbs 28.8 would ring very true for Israel. In Proverbs 28.8 it says, He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Think about what he says here. He says, you get it by unjust gain. You try to increase your substance. You hurt people in the process. He said, all you're doing is you're getting it for somebody else because you're not going to enjoy it. This is exactly what he's saying here. I wonder how many are caught up many times in just rituals. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. We, just caught up, we get caught up in rituals of things, just kind of the day in and day out. Not even realizing that God is, is crying out for us to repent. Because even as Christians, we'll do anything to get ahead. We'll do anything to, to make that, that next paycheck, or we'll do anything to make that next raise, or whatever it might be. We'll take the blessings of God and spend them on our lusts and selfish desires. We'll take God's time and use it for our own pleasures and enjoyment. And here's the sad part. It doesn't even bother us. Because we have tuned God out. God is saying, hey, that's wrong. Hey, I've blessed you not to just use it for yourself. I've blessed you that so you can be a blessing to others. Hey, I've given this to you so that you can use it for others. I've blessed you. I've done this for you. I want you to use it to help others and be a blessing to others. And we say, no, thank you, God. I'm going to keep it for myself. I'm going to do what I want to with it. We don't even hear what the Lord is saying to us. And so, friend, we can't be surprised or upset when the rod of correction comes. So what does God do? Watch what he says in verse 13. He says, Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied. And thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold, but shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. You understand what God says? God says he's going to make them sick. Not necessarily the physical sickness, but sick in a way that, that will hopefully get their attention. He's going to bring this rod of correction in. He's going to take everything that was so important to them and absolutely turn it against them. Everything that they desired, God was going to turn it away from them. He was, going to, he was going to turn it against them. He said they would eat, but they would not be satisfied. He said you're going to eat, and you're going to eat, and you're never going to be satisfied. There's going to be no satisfaction there to it. Their destruction would be visible to all around. He says there in verse number, in verse number 13, and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Everybody would see this destruction. They would try and, and take something as they had done before, but they wouldn't be able to do it. That what they would take, God would allow to be taken from them. They would sow, but they would reap nothing. They would tread the olives, and there would be no oil. They would tread the grapes. They would take the grapes, but there would be no wine. Their economy would basically crumble right before their eyes. All that they had lived for, all that they had desired, God said, I'm just going to take it away from you. Because you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're, you're so consumed by these things, you're not listening to me. And God said, I'll just take it from you. 
they wouldn't be satisfied. And I say, I'm afraid that's the way a lot of Christians are living today. We're living for the world, thinking that the world is going to satisfy, and when it doesn't, instead of turning back to God, we try to do more. We try to get more from the world. Well, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just get ahead, if I could just get that raise, if I could just get that new job, if I could just get that new car, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that, then everything, then I would be satisfied. And guess what happens? You find out you're never satisfied. Why? Because God's not going to let us live our life consumed with those things when he has something far better for us. When his desire is that we would be obedient to him and follow him and listen and, and as we said before, repent of our sin and realize, hey, if I truly want wisdom and if I want knowledge, I need to draw closer to God. That's where true knowledge and wisdom comes from. But he says, because of this, for the statutes of Omri are kept. You're just following in the paths of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab and you walk in their counsels. He said, you listen to them, but you don't listen to me. You listen to the counsel of these false prophets, but you won't listen to me. So what does he say? That I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof in hissing, therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. Is there really treasure in wickedness. He says in verse, thir- in verse number 10, are there yet the treasures of wickedness? The world thinks that there is. If you really want to get ahead, you just got to be in all for you. If you really want to make it, don't think about anybody else, just think about you. And that's how you really get ahead. The problem is that that mentality has crept into Christians. Don't think about God. Don't think about what God wants for you. You just think about you. And we as Christians have the mentality that there is treasure in wickedness. That there is something that we can actually get more in turning away from God than we can in following God. And can I say, the only thing that we have to look forward to when we turn away from God is the rod. There is going to be a rod of correction. Because God says, I'm not just going to let you go that way. I'm not just going to let you continue moving that way and, and worshiping these false gods and and just idolatry and this wickedness that had crept into Israel. There's going to be this this rod, this, this correction. Why? Because God cared about them. God wanted them to follow Him. God had something far better for them. But they weren't listening. They were more concerned about the treasures of wickedness. And can I say tonight, God has something far better for you and I. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Or have we allowed the world to convince us that there is treasure in wickedness instead of following God? 
using the very blessings of God for self, to fulfill our lusts, saying, God, I don't really care what you say. Then, friend, can I say, if that's how we're going to live, don't be surprised when God has to bring the rod of correction into our life. I don't know what that would be. I don't know what that would be in your life. I don't know what it would be in my life. But I know because God is a loving God, he is a loving father, and he wants us to do what is right. He cannot continue to allow us to keep searching for treasures of, dark, of darkness and wickedness. And he'll bring that correction, that rod of correction into our life to help us to come back to him. And he says, look, if you won't hear the message, <laughs> you will hear the rod. Do we find treasures in wickedness or do we find treasures in righteousness? Their heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. Lord, again, may we learn from Israel. May we learn from the mistakes that they made that we would not make the same mistakes. Lord, help us as Christians to recognize and understand the treasures of wickedness are not true treasures. The true treasure is found only when we're following Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we won't listen to your word when you're crying out for us to repent and to follow you, then Lord, we can expect that there we will hear the rod of correction. Not because you hate us, God, but because you love us. Because you're trying to draw us back to you. You're trying to help us to do what is right. So, Father, help us simply to hear your words. We have ears to hear. Lord, help us to truly hear. One of their heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. You can just remain seated where you're at this evening. But the piano is just going to play softly. Maybe tonight God's spoken to your heart about something.